0: November 22nd, 2021, and I'm back with Mac McGregor to discuss the week's acquisition headlines. First one we got up here, Army Shark, Shark Tank-style innovation competition is now open to other services from the Army Times. So the Army's 18th Airborne Corps has an innovation challenge. They, they're they dubbing the uh, Dragon's Lair, and they've got a bunch of submissions, 104 total submissions. It looks like it's actually coming from soldiers, so it's pretty similar to what I would think of as like the AFWorks Spark Tank, where they have, uh, I guess, like the the Air Force guys actually with their own innovative ideas, kind of submit ideas and and do cool things. But here we have 104 total submissions, and 61 of them actually came from the Air Force, and 11 from the Navy, three from the Space Force, and 29 from soldiers. So this uh, Army event here is getting a lot of submissions from the Air Force. Maybe there's some spillover of uh, you know ideas that didn't quite make it in the AFWorks realm. Uh, that made it here but as few as five will actually be presented of that 104 uh submissions so it's kind of a low p win rate there um maybe folks uh, i wonder where it's going to go or how much money is involved they didn't really kind of talk about that but any thoughts about uh this shark tank style i guess the army's kind of following suit with afworks it seems like
1: yeah, I mean the the army actually. There's a, if you go on NSEN, the uh, National Security Innovation Network site. There's a they actually have a really neat page where they they have different uh, organizations uh, and a lot of lot of army organizations. I will say the the 18th um, Ar- uh, 18th Airborne Corps has a big big presence there. Um, but there's different sites and and they actually are like working on projects. They put different projects they're working on. So. Uh, they're pretty active on there and there's a lot of good stuff going on so so i would say there's there's a lot more going on behind the scenes uh than maybe it seems and one of the reasons that the air force also might be a little more active is air afworks uh, has created a lot of spark tanks uh, different bases and there's still not a ton of money that goes into it i mean it's still really small dollars and probably should get funded better but but it does, it, it really has enabled, you know, innovation at that lower level, um, you know, generally lower tech kind of stuff, but, but, you know, impactful stuff, right, if you're a maintainer. So, yeah, yeah, probably not that much money here, but um, still, still a good, uh, a good initiative.
0: Yeah, there was actually one further down that we we're going to talk about, but we might as well just kind of get to it on one how how one airman fixed the Air Force's night vision problem with a four cent piece of, chunk of plastic. So apparently, there's uh, you know two you know there's a newer version of the night vision goggles and an older version, and the new version doesn't quite mount on the on the helmets, um, and so they weren't using them even though they were in the inventory. And then apparently, you know one airman kind of took a weekend and some time to to design a fastener of sorts and with four cents um he's saying you can you can save nineteen thousand dollars each you can't beat that it's kind of funny to think about you know that these quick fixes aren't like right in the wheelhouse they're just like well i guess we're gonna have to throw them out for competition again or you know like rebuild it or you know get them to modify it in a big contract action but you know yeah, you know, especially with 3D printing and the like, which I think they were using for getting more of those things out. Um, you know, you can kind of there's there's some savings to be had at that lower level if you just let let those people innovate and have a little bit of money.
1: Yeah, it kind of shows like you know you can't solve every problem with um, with some big acquisition. Sometimes it is the low tech stuff that's just the the user doing what they need to do to make it work. This one this one was actually driven though from reading into it a little bit driven by a disconnect with the delivery of a new helmet that this, this was designed to actually fit on versus these, these, this particular group had an older version of the helmet that it wasn't designed for. So it's a, this was a little bit of a stopgap measure. Uh, and yeah, it sounds like they did use a bunch of 3d printers. So and one of the guys was like a hobbyist and had a bunch in his garage. So they designed it and, and, uh, printed them out. But, uh, yeah, it just shows you need you need some of that innovation at the lower level. You know, it's can't can't substitute it.
0: Yeah, it's just ridiculous to a degree that like a lot of these things like rely on the irregularity. And then think about all of the number that we don't hear about, or that irregularity didn't happen, and just like never worked, or they just <laughs> didn't didn't end up using them, or they had to go back out and recompete it, and go through like a two year long you know contracting process to go get that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of crazy that, uh, we, we, we make things that hard sometimes.
0: <laughs> Next one we got analysis are better debriefings driving down protest from FCW. Um, in fiscal year 2021 saw nearly 2000 cases filed at the GAO, which is down 12% compared to fiscal year 2020. And over the five years since 2017, the number has, uh, gone down quite a bit more. So, it looks like there was kind of like this general increase in protests from 2012 to 2016, and then that's kind of starting to come down a little bit more. Uh but there's been, you know, since starting in 2018, the Department of Defense has what are called enhanced debriefings, which allow for more dialogue with companies after they've lost a contract. And so, I think, you know, DHS with the pill they've obviously been doing a lot of the exact same thing. And so It looks like the research is saying, you know, one reason that companies file protests is to learn why they lost. And then the second one is um, because of the increase in multiple award IDIQs, indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity. I actually didn't know this, but, you know, task orders um, have to be at least $25 million on an IDIQ to get protested. So um, there's another reason to kind of go modular in that structure. But um yeah, so this one's interesting. Protests are down. You know, right, right as we're kind of now talking about, does there need to be some changes you've been hearing about all this? You know, sometimes, I guess, <laughs> the, it's starting to work out anyway.
1: Yeah, I mean, it just shows you, right, like the um, – for, for a lot of contractors, it's just, you know, they put so much of their time and energy and cost, right? You know, there have been a proposal cost, and DOD, you know, we don't generally make it very easy, so you got to go through – you know, uh, this really prescriptive process and detail all this stuff. So yeah, at the end of it, it's just like you know having a black box of, "Yep, you didn't get it. Okay, see you." Um, or and I and I dealt with this on the source selection that I ran, where you know the contracting officer was was worried about like what I was going to say and wanted to script it out. And I was like, "No, I'm not like I'm not doing that." And I just had an honest conversation with them. You know, I didn't divulge anything that I wasn't supposed to, but had an honest conversation and told him everything I could tell him and it didn't get protested, you know? Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's just one of those things where I think, I think having that dialogue, you know, could go a long way. And then you still have, then you can really focus, I think on the frivolous, the frivolous ones where it's clearly just sour grapes and, and, you know, maybe you can come up with some legislation or some, some process that you know, it goes after that. But, but yeah, I think, I think until the government does, does their part, it's hard to tell who's being frivolous and who's just like, yeah, that's kind of interesting that, that the majority said, you know, just wanted to know why they lost. Pretty telling.
0: Yep. And so the next one we got here, it's quite a long document, the state of the space industrial base, 2021. And this has authors from uh, the U S space force, DIU and AFRL. A long document. I didn't actually read the whole thing, so maybe maybe Matt did. Uh, but a couple of interesting things here um, that I pulled out was kind of like one thing they said was mandate a percentage of commercial services buys starting in 2022. Um, so there was a lot of emphasis on commercial uh, in space here. And then another one was enable rapid innovation by shifting resources from CIBER to OTA. And I think that's a an, that's another interesting one there. Um, I, there's a maybe a billion or two total in the in the Cibber. I think three billion across across the government. And so I guess they just want to kind of tap into that resource a little bit and move it over to OTAs. But you know we'll see.
1: Yeah, actually that one that one didn't make sense to me um, because SIBRS is not a type of contract. So you can actually use you know other transaction for a SIBRS contract, and that, that does happen. Um, so kind of weird. Uh, Sibbers is also kind of a mandated thing. Um, I think but do you
0: think it sounded correct. like they're saying from like take money out of the Sibber pot or something yeah. like that? That's I don't know exactly. So. Yeah, yeah, you you kind of make sense, though, from Sibber to OTA. So maybe they just mean make more of those OTAs. But I don't see what benefit they would necessarily get because the IP is already pretty OK on Sibber. I don't know.
1: Right. Yeah, that one made the least sense, but I could honestly, we, I could do a whole podcast on this report because I thought it was, I thought it was super fascinating and a couple of things uh, I took away apart from those things you pointed out um, was, you know, they, they really uh, focused hard on the cislunar space infrastructure uh, market and the fact that there's, there's going to be a lot more investment in that space and which is pretty interesting because we've, we've talked about it within the DoD space for a while. But I don't think we expected as much commercial commercial investment to be this fast. so Cislunar is that space between the geosynchronous orbit and the moon with mining and and other things that you know more uh, more countries and more uh, commercial interests are are um, you know going to be having activities on the moon. so there will be a lot more space there for communication relays and for uh, you know for supporting the mining uh, mining sector, and there's also a defense mission there as well. so that looks to be kind of blowing up the report uh, talked a lot about that. Another interesting piece was about the, the companies that are playing in the space market, uh, maybe not surprisingly, but a lot of them are non traditional, you know, small businesses, and uh, about 75% of them actually have between 101 and 100 employees. So, so you actually have, you know, um, the vast majority of them are, are fairly are fairly, really small. So 100 employees max. And uh, you know, they're 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 the they're the ones that are that are really going after a lot of the um a lot of the startups. They're they're the ones driving that startup capital. So uh the other piece that kind of plays into that too is that the fact that over fifty-six percent of those small businesses had actually either applied for and successfully received at least one SIBA grant. So they at least had one SIBR investment uh from the government. Uh the, that's the good news is that over fifty percent. The bad news is that a lot of them did comment that it was this the process for getting a server was too high it was confusing not very user-friendly and they also noted that like we've talked about many times you know they, they had a valley of death issue where you know getting getting beyond a phase one especially beyond a phase two uh, was a lot more difficult uh you know and, and that they didn't have access to kind of key points in the government agencies so you know they didn't really even know where to go right even if they had a great product the government said it loved it they didn't know where to go for that next step, so you know. So I think we have a lot of work to do in that space, helping with security clearances and those kind of things. The, the last thing I'll mention is, um, oh, actually, two other quick findings. Uh, one of the other ones was that ITAR remains a major hurdle. So these are companies that uh, you know don't really uh, aren't don't have lawyers on staff, right, to tell them exactly how to uh, how to kind of you know go over the ITAR uh, you know legalities and stuff. So they they had to really. Spend a lot of resources to interpret it, rules, get a, clearan- a clear answer from the government representatives. And it basically drove a lot of costs for them where they have competitors like in the European Union, for instance, that don't have any of that. So that is something we really have to figure out, I think, to not impose unnecessary costs on some of these small uh, small businesses that are trying to play in the space. The last one, and this is my favorite, I think this is like the winner of the whole report. Uh, the quote is basically, just buy stuff and buy off the shelf. Avoid the temptation to create soul-sucking programs of record. Just become a buyer of products and services and whenever possible, select off the shelves. And the key there is basically, hey, if you can buy a service or a product, commercial service or product, that meets 80% of your mission, uh, you know, do that instead of spending you know, $100 million to get the perfect exotic 100% solution. Um, and then there's a lot of good, uh, the last part of the report, there's a lot of stuff on the hybrid space architecture, which kind of plays into this where, the commercial space sector can play with the government, uh, more exotic solutions, and maybe that is the right model going forward. So a lot of good stuff in this report uh, and I highly encourage people to read it. So I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, maybe you got to get those guys on the uh, podcast to talk about it at some point, but um, a lot of good yeah, stuff.
1: Absolutely.
0: Next one we got, another $25 billion boost, this time for shipyards proposed in the NDAA. And so this, uh, I guess, amendment here or, or this part of the bill... Was introduced by folks that, of course, came out of like Virginia and shipbuilding areas, and was co-sponsored by you know those from Virginia, Maine, Hawaii, and Mississippi. And so, if passed, the bill would provide 21 billion to the Navy's four public shipyards, and that will actually go towards the uh, the PSYOP plan, the shipyard infrastructure and optimization plan, which was talking about 21 billion over 10 years. This looks like they're really going to try to accelerate that a whole bunch. And then another $4 billion would be distributed among private shipyards that would have new construction or maintenance efforts underway. So um, it would be interesting to see how they decide who gets what, but um, there's a little bit of subsidies going out as well in, in, to the private yards. So not surprising, but, you know, they they boosted up shipbuilding a bunch, and now they're trying to boost up uh, shipyards. It's good to see them focusing on the infrastructure investments that will need be needed, especially if, you know, Get into some issues. There's a lot of maintenance troubles that we've been reporting on recently. Um, any thoughts on, on this one?
1: Actually, I was kind of interested about the private shipyards. It's it's good to see that that that's becoming more common. Um, I don't think I was tracking that uh, there was there was that much new construction going on. So so yeah, that's that's kind of encouraging. I'd like to get the get more details on that one. Um, but yeah, the the only thing I took away from apart from what you mentioned there was. You you know, yes, there's a vested interest that from a lot of the folks, you know, Senator Ricker and Senator Portman, you know, pushing this. But, you know, they, they really are not wrong. Right. Like they keep hearing from DOD that these are national treasures. And, you know, these are the most important assets in the department because they provide these critical capabilities. But then, you know, year to year, they're like, you know, they continue to get dinged in the budget and they don't get the funding. So it's like a lot of talk, but not always a lot of action. And, and, you know, they made the quote here, um, yeah, the, the supposed commitment to the depot is not translated into action. The organic industrial-based infrastructure is chronically underfunded to the point that these facilities are relics of the past. And that is really true. If you go out, not just, not just shipyards, but really any depot, uh, they, they do seem to be operating like on the edge, right? Like the equipment is really old, you know, the people are just, you know, fantastic and can do their job. But they do it uh, really in, in inefficient ways many times, and they're, it's only through their own creativity that they get the job done. So, so yeah, I, I support this. It sounds like it has no chance of getting through, given that the chairmans of those committees don't support it. Uh, but but I think it's good to push, to, and maybe the PSYOP should be accelerated. So,
0: yeah, definitely. I mean, the all four public shipyards are over a hundred years old, and like a lot of their equipment is you know fifteen years past past its average life expectancy and stuff like that. But, you know, the government or, like, the Department of Defense didn't include it in this budget, right? So, obviously, the Department of Defense likes to sh- focus on the shiny new things. And I think a lot of times the um, the Congress does as well because that goes back to the districts. But uh, it's all focused on these, like, weapon systems end items. And, you know, it's interesting that the Congress has to kind of come in and say this is important. And we will you know plus you up on it right but the government <laughs> like the dod would never like actually bake that into or has never baked that into the plants we've been hearing them say stuff like that about the, these treasures but they don't when it comes down to it they don't prioritize it
1: yeah no, exactly
0: <laughs> all right next one we got the department of defense fails an audit again but officials have no doubt it will eventually pass and so this is the fourth time that they're going under this annual audit again you know that was first in- Required from the 1990 Chief Financial Officers Act And uh, yeah, they don't expect, I guess, you know The Navy's comptroller um, at the time said they might not get there until 2027 So, you know, these things may be a little bit off But uh, the department has more than $3.2 trillion in assets $3 trillion in liabilities And it took about 1,200 auditors uh, 278 in-person and over 1,000 virtual site visits and so the whole shebang took about $207 million for the audit. And, you know, I guess one of the things I would I'd like to know what the breakdown is, like how difficult and how close are they on the actual, I guess, obligational side, like where did the money go as opposed to uh, what are the assets and accounting for all the assets and making sure they know where everything is and what the valuation of that thing is. Uh, because it seems like some people don't really care so much about the latter, you know, it's like, as long as you can trace the money is important, but, um, the government's not like, uh, I guess a normal company where you have like the assets and the liabilities, which creates your market value to some degree. Uh, I don't know. What What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah. I, I was actually in the, in the building when they started this, it's called fire generally for just fire in the building. Um, and F I a R not, not fire like a fire, but yeah this when this got started, I sat in one meeting about it and and I immediately said I want nothing to do with it and uh, never never went to any more meetings about it. but I mean good call. It's a, it's an, <laughs> I think I was smart. It's an interesting one because I mean, yes, DoD should be able to do this audit, but then again, it's also as I understand it, it's against these standards that are very much like you know, management control very you know industrial age kind of construct um and so it's like yeah we can tell you we can tell you where the money is going like you can go into you know any of the erp systems you can go in and you can see where the O and and R D, all the money is going and you can generally trace it to like an activity um you know maybe you can't get down like to exactly like did that go to uh, you know fund labor or material like you might have to dig more in a contract for some of that but yeah you can you can we can do a lot of this so i think it's is this value added like at the end of it when we do a clean audit will anyone in congress or anyone in the civilian uh, you know um, any of the citizenry will they have gained any additional value from it i i remain skeptical i think it's an exercise to say okay we can do a clean audit but i'm not sure it I'm not sure it solves anything, so it's, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I hear you. But also, it kind of, you, there's that issue in terms of just, like, public trust and, like, what, it it's hard to know what it means, but then, like, people just use that for their own conspiracy theories, right? Like, you know, the the people who are, like... The government knows all this stuff about aliens and all this they can't fail they can't pass an audit because they're funneling all this money into secret alien projects and then like <laughs> you know, and then AOC says, oh the twenty one trillion dollars we can't find it like that could have all paid for you know Medicare for all and it's just like none of that's true and the twenty one trillion is all this like transaction across accounts, right It's not like the sum of missing money. Right, so it's like yeah, you're you're
1: right. It is an easy talking point for people to say like, yeah, and it, and it does make you think like, well, there must be a ton of fraud in the system. <laughs> so, Yeah, fair point.
0: And it it would also just be nice to close that loop to be like, this is this is what I want, right? I want like an organizational hierarchical structure. Like, where is this program? Where is this program office? What program executive office is it in? Who do they report to in terms of systems, commands, and otherwise? Um, and then, like, what are the obligations that they've made and what program elements go through them, right? And then connect the obligation to the, the, pro- the program element that it comes from. And until you can, like, the, the fact that no one can do this ever is crazy to me. And if you can just show that traceability through the system, who spent what money from what account? Like, that's all I want. And if you can't show that, then you're never going to get any kind of trust with Congress um, to kind of do some of these things in terms of budgeting that, that I think we want like portfolio management and the like.
1: But I do think that part is that part can be done. I mean, the, the systems this is there there all the systems that are used for acquisition are very transparent um, in terms of you know everything is traceable to um, you know to a PE, to even lower levels. I mean, so I think that traceability is there. I'm, a, I don't know enough to Where know exactly is what's keeping who's, them constantly on it. Audit, but I don't think it's that. I, that that does exist, but I don't, I don't know. But.
0: Who's got it? Can you tell me, like, from what system? Because I've never, I've never heard of people having this.
1: Yeah. Um, well, for, for the Air Force, it's c Cars. Um, for the for the Navy, it's their um, uh, RDAS, uh system. Army uses Army uses Sea Cars as well yeah so you go in those systems and you pull up any p e it'll tell you it'll tell you all the contracting actions um that that it goes to the p e that it's on and it'll show you if money was 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 reprogrammed um yeah all that is there it's very very transparent you can see spent plans projected uh, yeah i mean that, on the investment side um you know, O and think does get a little fuzzier because it kind of goes out in different ways and stuff, and especially like OCO probably some in some ways gets a little bit fuzzier. You know, funding that went to Afghanistan and all that stuff is probably really not that. That probably is still a mystery in some ways. But yeah, for investment stuff that goes to programs, it's very it's very well tracked. I don't think there's a lot of gaps there. Hmm.
0: Well, I would love to understand why that's like classified or we can't know it no one can see it right um except for maybe some people that are correctly positioned um because i would just love to have a flat file like a, a, a data file or like fpds data reconciled with the budget what's the key you know like i would love that um
1: yeah i think they should open it up they should open up those systems yeah for public scrutiny there's nothing if it's not classified there's really no reason you can't won't see it you'd have to like have a i think you'd have to have a little bit of a um, um you know rosetta stone <laughs> to tell you how to manage how to navigate the system because it is like you know there's a lot to it but yeah they should there's no reason they can't.
0: Be. yeah i would just expect in fpds they would have just like this contract action you know it goes to a treasury account and fine i can see the treasury account but that doesn't tell me what program element number it is you know i would just love where, wherever that key is someone someone knows it please please expose it to us <laughs> that, that's expose all i the want. api <laughs> yeah <laughs> next one we got bernie sanders announces he's voting no on the 778 billion dollar defense bill from truth out um i'm just going to bring this up that's, there's no surprise there obviously bernie sanders is You know, always saying we need to reprioritize, you know, from defense towards, you know, social programs and like. But one one thing that was funny here that I actually agree with him on, um, not that I don't agree with him otherwise. But uh, on this one, he says he also took issue with a portion of the bill that gives 10 billion to Jeff Bezos's space company, Blue Origin, calling it a handout and criticizing it as unbelievable. Congress has previously proposed a similar contract uh, for the company earlier this year. And the company has lobbied hard to receive the money. (laughs) So, um, yeah, 10 billion. I'd like to see where in the bill, like literally says like, here's a $10 billion handout. You know, people have been claiming that ULA gets a billion dollars a year in handouts and ULA obviously frames it very much differently. They're like, that's not a handout. It's for X, Y, or Z. Um, so, you know, I'd like to know a little bit more about that, but ultimately I think he's kind of right. (laughs)
1: yeah i think we didn't we talk about this one I, I was trying to remember um if we had uh, talked about this where they 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 forced a split instead of it going to the one vendor um they they basically said you you have to you have to split it amongst the two competitors i think so they I did that last like year They
0: last year they had something that was split uh between like bill, spacex yeah, it was SpaceX and Blue Origin split split like a billion dollars last year or something. Um, okay. And then this one's a separate one.
1: Yeah. Well, anytime, yeah, something is directed um, like that in a bill, it does always seem a little suspicious, and you really just want it to be a competition and let you know let it play out. So, yeah, I can't disagree either if it if that is how this all went down. Um, you know, maybe he knows a little bit more about what happened behind the scenes. But um, yeah, definitely, you know, I I do think it's overplayed about defense dollars. Uh, You know, if only you could just like reduce the defense budget, you'd be able to fund all these things. I, I, like I've said before, I don't think people like Bernie Sanders understand just how much of the defense budget is kind of a social program in a way. (laughs) Um, You know, it's funding a lot of small businesses. It's funding a lot of, you know, salaries. Like most of it's, you know, Mm -hmm half of its salaries and, and uh, you know, and other things. So the, it permeates throughout the economy um, in a lot of ways that I think, you know, if you just turned off the tap, um, you'd have a lot of businesses go out, so, uh, you know, stop stop work. So, yeah, I think it's always a little bit underrated. It's not all just, um, you know, it's all not just waste and just buying missiles and stuff. But um, but I, would, you know, I mean, I would
0: push back on that just because, you know, he was saying like, saying well it's going to like salaries and people's jobs and stuff well it's like well if you take that money and you just like put it into whatever climate whatever there's going to be more jobs there right the jobs will move of course there'll be structural impediments to kind of like getting the workforce moving and stuff but overall he's just like well there's going to be the same amount of jobs right there would actually be more jobs if if you you know fund this rather than that uh potentially
1: I, yeah, I will say though, you know, especially when you look at the O and M accounts. Not that there's not a, you know, some of the other uh, investment funds don't also contribute, but when you look at where some of the DOD dollars go, uh, and some of the bases where bases are located, that you know it funds all kinds of different service contracts and a lot of really well-paying jobs in areas where there's not a lot of that. Uh, I do I do sometimes think it's underrated that if you close those bases or you no longer had O dollars to fund all those different uh, contracts that employ local people. uh, I think there would be a lot of ripple effects. You know, you'd have cities that would basically, you know, people, they're almost- Disappear have them there because they're so dependent on that yeah Uh, but structural shifts
0: in the economy like we shouldn't be too worried about structural shifts in the economy it's like you wouldn't say that about like a pin factory or something right you wouldn't care like oh all the people that are making pins in this town because we can just automate that process they're all gone It's like well that's not a reason to stop that from happening i mean I, i would almost just say like well not necessarily from that point of view i would just be like look we are literally like at like you can say that we're in this great power competition, but we're more or less at war with China, right? We have geopolitical like responsibilities and like the, the call, the I think the real call is like, you can't like, you know, I guess show weakness in front of the enemy that will certainly, you know, raise their willingness to want to go take over Taiwan, for example, or do something else, right? So I think there is just kind of like a, a straight up argument for, you know, the geopolitical environment and the fact that, if you cut defense by 50% even, right? Like you're not going to solve any social program problem that Bernie Sanders wants. Like you're going to need orders of magnitude, more dollars to do the things he wants. And and like, then like these cuts that he's talking about, 10% trims, that's just, you know, like drops in a bucket.
1: Yeah. I don't, I also don't think he's advocating for a free market, the free market uh, enterprise that you're proposing there. Yeah. I, I don't disagree <laughs> with you that, that, you know, I think you're right that for, you know, for this great power competition, you know, we probably do need to cut back on, you know, why do we have so much infrastructure, right? Like if you look across DVD, um, I think I've seen numbers where like 30%, uh, we have extra 30% capacity, um, you know, at different bases. We could definitely close a lot of bases, consolidate things and and achieve greater efficiencies where that fun- those funds could be reallocated you know, to real DOD kind of capabilities or or maybe hand it back to the Treasury for other stuff. Right. Like, but we don't we don't do that because DOD is not a free market in, this, in the sense of, you know, all the well, let me get to this point. The, the last point in the article was uh, with these additions, the bill would cost over one trillion. He's talking about the money for for like uh, microchips and stuff like that um, with very little scrutiny, quote unquote. And so I did kind of laugh a little bit because it's he's kind of like dinging dod that we wouldn't have very little scrutiny in executing this when as we know the budget his his peers there in the house and senate have a pretty good idea where most of that money is going (laughs) so it's i would say there's a good amount of scrutiny and direction on you know where those dollars are are being allocated so i thought that was
0: (laughs) and the fact that you they have insight into where the money is going means that they're going to fight harder you know like whenever you try to find something to to cut there'll be at least one congressman there willing to push back and be like no that's my district and then they'll create a you know a a ring of people and and so it's unlikely to get that cut
1: yeah yeah like if, if bernie sanders really wanted to get um if the thing he should push for if he wants to get DoD to not be funded. The same thing is allow an uninhibited BRAC, let the DOD leaders do whatever they want to do for BRAC and let them, yeah, and do portfolio funding. If he got portfolio funding and BRAC approval, he'd see all kinds of efficiencies, (laughs) I predict. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I agree. Again, I, I would like to think a little, I would like the department to think a little bit more about what what does it mobilization, industrial mobilization mean, right? Because BRAC might be really short sighted in terms of near term efficiencies um, if you want that scalability at some point. Maybe not. Maybe that's the wrong way of thinking about it. But like, you know, I, it just feels like there's a, a lack of, you know, there's too much how do we fight tonight and not enough how do we like fight tomorrow night, you know, in terms of I think strategic and industrial thinking.
1: Well, I think that goes either we you had another article in here. I don't know if we'll get to it, but about manufacturing capacity and yeah, I think that gets to our just-in-time kind of philosophy that we've adopted. Like not just not just in a lot of the commercial companies in the U.S. Uh, where this is why we're having supply chain disruption is we don't have warehouses anymore. But you know, also in terms of how we order things, we you know when we place an order for something, we're doing the many times the minimum order, and those companies get very very lean because they know DOD is not going to order a lot of something. So missile companies, aircraft companies, uh, you know, they get really get super, super lean so they can be cost competitive. But that means if you come back to them and ever say, I need you to bump up by 25%, you know, their ability to do that quickly is rather limited. And we've seen that a couple of times just in the past uh, past 10 years um, where, where we have asked industry to do that. And it's taken, you know, it's taken a long time to do And it was very disruptive and painful, not easy to do. And so, no, I agree with you. We're we're not, we don't have a good posture for industrial readiness.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'd like to see like an analysis of how many, how many munitions of different types do we have in the inventory? And if we got into a reasonably, you know, hot type of war, how fast would you expend through those things? And then how many days would it be until you had none? And we even saw, like, even in World War One and World War Two, that was a massive problem. Like, I just assume that like, you're just going to spend through these pre- precision munitions, like, incredibly fast.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We did in Afghanistan. We essentially ran out in 2016. And so we, um, yeah, we, we had to go full bore to kind of get, get back to a, a reasonable state. And if you look at the budget now, it's back down to low levels. So we surged for a few years. But yeah, I guarantee you in a, in a really, really hot war, JDAMs and AMRAMs and stuff. AMRAMs are very complicated. You would not be able to surge them very well. You could probably surge JDAMs and stuff, but small diameter bombs to some extent. But yeah, they've gotten more high tech. And so the more high tech they are, the longer they take to manufacture it, Yeah, I don't think it would be a good situation.
0: Yeah, yeah that's there's another uh, point for whatever major program that you're making overly complex. Like have a ten percent follower. Like, what's the cheap alternative that's meh good enough, does does whatever, but we can at least scale it. And, you know, it's kind of like a backup that you might be able to even be better than the original.
1: I still want you to write a paper on that one because I love it. Yeah, the idea of like hedging, like a hedge uh a hedge uh competitor or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's great. the
0: the Bill McLean from uh the he was the director at china lakes he said that in his book and then he actually i saw it many years ago in, in a hearing and i was just like that was the only note i took from his <laughs> from his testimony i was like man that was interesting <laughs> he's he's a really freaking interesting guy you know all stuff about like requirements pull approaches are bullshit and you know all of this layering of bureaucracy he just had a ton of ton of great stuff so read the sidewinder handbook if if you guys have a chance yeah uh, um Next one we got. Senate NDAA draft includes study of budgeting process and other tech provisions. A summary published by the Senate Armed Services Committee includes provision that would establish a commission to study the planning, programming, budgeting, execution process that forces acquisition programs to wait years before getting full funding from Congress. The budgeting process was created in the 1950s to ensure proper accounting for industrial projects like buying tanks, but it inhibits rapid iteration needed to buy software, experts have said. So we're stoked to kind of see that, you know, we're starting to see some some uh, articles in the news talking about this PBBE reform, which is really like I don't even know what the the right name for it is. It's kind of like governance reform to me, um, the budgeting system, the requirement system, the oversight system, because we've been dabbling so much in acquisition and contracting, but we've never gotten to like these bigger structural issues that create the system of incentives. Um, so it's kind of not. Surprising to me that after 50 years of acquisition reform, you haven't gotten anywhere if you're not like addressing money, if you're not just addressing requirements and you're not really addressing um, like the way oversight is done. But there's a few things here uh, like to get your opinion, but there's a few things here like just in that paragraph that were just straight out wrong. And I think it kind of shows like a lot of people don't know what it is that we might be talking about when we talk when we say PBBE reform. So one thing here says Wait years before getting full funding from Congress. Um, I think full funding has a specific terminology in use. I think this is just like authorization of. He meant, I think, authorization of program of record. Uh, the other, did you, did you want to expand on that one first?
1: Well, that, that's one. That's one recommendation I made in that, in the one in the five by five paper about, you know, full funding is generally for like the really large programs, the MDAPs, and yep it requires them to have uh, you know, a life cycle cost estimate and to have a commitment from the service that says we'll fully fund these. And it basically the secretary certifies it. So it gives it's not a perfect like uh, thing, but it shows like a deep level of commitment. Yeah.
0: And then the other one here was it was created in the 1950s. Of course, PBBE was created in 1961. Um, and then the first fiscal year it dropped, it was 63. Even though there was remnants, there was this performance budget that didn't really take hold. In the 50s and the last was to ensure proper accounting i don't think the the budget process assures proper accounting of major industrial hardware projects um but you know maybe maybe it contributed in some ways there's always been accounting for industrial projects right like everyone always knew what a tank costs what a ship costs um there's always been those program analyses since like you know the early 1900s at least But the thing about the PBBE was making the budget, you know, the future plan of action based on, you know, tanks and planes and ships and stuff like that. That was the major shift, um, not necessarily the accounting piece. Uh, So there's a couple things, you know, I think there'll be a lot of education and, you know, things that that, that's going to be necessary for this. But I also just want to think about what's the what's the cool term. Because P V B E is not exactly the coolest term or the easiest thing to say, but you know we've been working on this. You have a great five by five. Anyone who hasn't read the five by five paper from MITer, has got to pick it up. But uh, any any other thoughts, dreams, hopes for this?
1: <laughs> Thanks for the plug, Eric. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean you know we're really excited about the fact that there's gonna, likely to be a commission, and you know we'll have to you know, collectively, you know, take take advantage of that to come up with some smart recommendations. And, and so I hope we're I hope we're, you know, I hope we're able to do that, come up with some recommendations that will actually have buy in and that, you know, th- that will actually be acted upon. So uh, that's that I think is the key one is to make them actionable and to get get the buy in. So they actually are implemented. But um, yeah, very excited. And yeah i you know the one thing that i did didn't like her was disappointed on in the article is that the link to showing why the budget needs to be agile was a two thousand and fifteen paper that was not did not accurately capture all the issues. I was hoping they would link to some of your stuff in there so we'll get, we'll have to give that author some better some better links to um uh, <laughs> <PBV> reform papers <laughs>
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a hard one though. I I don't even know what it is half the time. So I think if you're not confused at what it is, then um, you probably don't know what it is that you're talking about. Right? <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe that's a good way. <laughs> but Anduril actually had a a nice. Uh, there was a post here on Medium where they were actually talking about. A number of things and one of them was that they commended in the strongest possible terms um the SAS move towards PBBE reform uh, and it's also that they were saying you know they they're hoping that they'll include the requirements process in this because um it's such a it's so overly prescriptive and lengthy and it has such a big effect and so yeah you know ag- exactly I think the PBBE can't be divorced from requirements of course. I think like what a requirement was was very different before PVPE, right? Um, I don't think there was necessarily like a requirement for bef- in an, in, an, in advance of prototypes. I think it was mostly just like what's the total material requirement? Um,
1: well, there was um, sometimes they're worth funding. I know like the book about the Constitution uh, and the monitor. Um, oh, yeah, where you know they did kind of prescript. They got, they got, Congress got pretty deep into that, that whole thing. Um, But yeah, no, I don't disagree that requirements are play into it, but I think you have to disconnect a little bit requirements process. That's like the full JSIDs process of all these things that are mostly DOD driven. DOD could actually streamline a lot of that. Uh, So I think we do have a lot of flexibility internally. Uh, The requirements process though, in terms of what Congress, you know, how Congress directs funding to say it must go to this thing and you have to spell out, you know, precisely what that money is going towards. And then you can't really deviate from that very, very much. That is another type of requirements that I think we, we will probably have to address in the PVE commission to say, we need more flexibility in how uh, the activity is defined, you know, um, and that will go to like portfolio, right? Like a portfolio approach, you would have to redefine what that activity is that the money is going to. Um, so, I think that requirements process would have to be investigated but I don't think this p v reform should get down into the JAs and the individual like service requirements process that is like that should be a whole other commission it's too complicated uh and it has a lot of stakeholders and stuff so that that would be a mire a pit I I wouldn't advise but uh but yeah definitely don't disagree that it's they're all connected so
0: yeah I guess I agree with I mean I definitely agree that JAs does it need to be bulked into this, but you can't do one without the other. Because if you say I'm going to do portfolio and like, what does that mean for the requirements then? I guess you can just trade between existing requirements and just go through that same process. But I think a lot of the times it's like Congress, they want the fixed technical baseline before they get to the PBBE thing, right? So what's the point of the portfolio if you don't have some kind of portfolio requirements to go with it? And I think you guys had that in your paper, right? Because you had recommendation that... You know, if you're going to go for this adaptive acquisition framework, you need also an adaptive requirements framework and an adaptive budgeting framework. Um, so I don't know what's the proper place for p- that discussion in PBBE reform, right? Like how far down the requirements path you need to go. Um, maybe just some of it is just let them do it, right? I think MTA and and uh, and software acquisition they've kind of ad hoc created their own types of processes and maybe like the ad the ad hocness is a good thing
1: yeah i think there's also a little bit of a chicken and egg thing where like i i I do believe that if if you had more portfolios and it's going to take time those are going to mature you know what we come up with in the the commission will probably morph and change over time you know will it be mission will some be mission and will some be capabilities or will some be for joint stuff some be for service like there's going to be a lot of ideas, uh, and th- and that will morph. It's but I do think once you start to inject some flexibility in the funding piece, that will drive the requirements piece to be able to 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 think differently. And I think right now a little bit of the JSIS process is geared towards such program you know program centric because they know that's how the funding flows right. Like they know that's the expectation of the acquisition system. So yes, that I think I think we'll probably have to make some assumptions in the PV reform commission that requirements we will get more flexible with uh with some type of you know portfolio whatever that looks like and and and, uh that will have to be that'll be a like a knock on effect because yeah i think there is i think there's a little bit of a chicken egg thing going on
0: yeah most definitely i mean back in what 2003 when they created the jcd system like it's hard to find fault with it right because they're just like well it needs to be high level outcomes oriented statements right Um, but then it always just like drives right back down into like these very detailed, you know, sets of features. And it's like, what's driving that? And I think it has to do something with this requirement of PBBE to know what it is. The life cycle cost will be and the solutions will be before you start. And so, you know, maybe if you fix PBBE, the requirements kind of, you know, is on its way or you can bite that off separately. I think it needs to be bitten off separately, but but yeah.
1: Um, well, there is a report. So section 809 in the FY21 NDA had a report for um, on the requirements process um, that's being done by the ERIC. Um, and so uh, you, we'll see what comes out of that. But but uh, Congress has recognized it. And I think there probably will need to be some legislation on requirements because you know past acquisition, like Wasara, for instance, you know there were requirements for independent cost estimates, which require you to have kind of firm requirements. And so you know, some of those things I think will have to be relaxed to gain the full benefit of uh, of portfolio funding. And, and so there probably will need to be some follow-on legislation that actually tackles some of these other things. And, yeah, so, yeah, a lot in play there.
0: Yeah. Um, so running up on time. I'm just going to go real quick through a couple of these, and then I'll let you have the last word. DoD picks Amazon, Microsoft, Google, and Oracle for the multi-billion dollar project to re- jedi cloud ibm i guess is the only one that didn't oracle was the one that made jedi's life hell by uh, (laughs) by giving them the protests but they were able to get on there Uh, so it's a multiple award i guess idiq construct here um, and that's the joint warfighter cloud capability Uh, the next one we got is the cno first combining gear fix completed for freedom class lcs minneapolis st paul so uh, i guess the freedom class has had a a class-wide issue of a combining gear, uh, which links the diesel engines and the gas turbines, and, uh, the tur- and that's led to several high-profile kind of failures. And so they've, they're just working out the first one. It's likely to, they don't even know what the cost will be, but it looks like the taxpayers will cover half of it, and then the shipbuilder, um, the other half. And the last one we'll go over here is Army soldiers fight against and with robotic vehicles in training for the first time from uh, breaking defense. And, uh, so there's kind of a, that was, that was a really hard one. They're using the RCVs, um, to do a number of interesting scenarios and trainings, uh, where they had, I guess, soldiers on both sides and, and working with the, the RCVs. One of the interesting things here was that, uh, how, how they reduce heat si- signatures and, and electronic signatures. So they're not identified. And so they can't have these generators going. Uh, so they're kind of looking for a number of ways uh, to be kind of more silent. So a lot of these things that you wouldn't, you know, you might think that driverless vehicles are going pretty well in the commercial sector, but there's always like a lot of much more difficult and other requirements, that, uh, you know, that government has, especially in war fighting, that um, need to be tackled. And certainly that's one of them. Um, any any yeah. final thoughts here?
1: Yeah. The other well, the other piece of that I picked up on too was like they had a lot of network challenges because there was with all yep. of the you know all the personnel in the area and all the systems that are going there's a lot of like heavy network congestion so you know it does show that for us to really scale the robotics piece and all and autonomy piece we're going to need 5g um you know on the, on the battlefield in order to kind of throw all this data around and, and allow everything to kind of work together so yeah but um yep yeah, that's all I had header
0: all right cool well hope you have a Great Thanksgiving for the week and to you and your family. And, you know, we'll talk to you next. This concludes another episode of Acquisition Talk. If you have comments, interview recommendations, or just want to chat, please contact us at acquisitiontalk.com. Thanks again. And until next time.